0: with me Anya Adams. And me,
1: Fanshen Cox. We are so, so glad to be back and talking to you about Black Women Plus working in the media, entertainment, and the arts. And today, this is so exciting because we have (laughs) Hanaleigh Culpepper, uh, who I've known for years and got to know as she was kind of getting started in Hollywood, but I think we'll share that story. But she, if you haven't heard, and you should have, she's an award-winning writer, director, her projects span film and episodic television. Um, This is maybe where you've heard the biggest buzz around her, which was she was chosen to direct the pilot for Star Trek Picard which premiered earlier this year. She also directed all three of the first episodes and that made her the very first woman ever to helm a new Star Trek pilot series in its 53-year history. It's so freaking amazing. We cannot wait to talk to her about that. In 2020, she also directed and executive produced the pilot for Greg Berlanti's Kung Fu and she was selected for the inaugural class of Reframe Rise directors and And earned a Variety's 2019 Inclusion Impact Honor. We love it. So badass. Yes.
0: Um, She's also part of the AFI Conservatory's directing workshop for women and has been a part of the NBC Universal's directing initiative. And she's directed episodes of television for shows like The Flash, Gotham, Counterpart, which was one of my favorite, favorite shows. I'm so bummed it's gone. Grim and many more. So we're excited to talk to her about her expansive career working as a Black woman sci-fi director on all these amazing franchises and her approach to directing. And we say to Hanalei, welcome, welcome to Sister Brunch. And thank you. Welcome.
2: (laughs) Thank you for inviting me to be on your awesome show. I'm so excited. (laughs) I love both of you. So the combination of you two together is like, you know, dream come true.
1: For us too. I've been bragging. I've been bragging. I, I, I will admit that I only recently became a truckie, but I'm full on involved. I started with Discovery and then I of course watched Picard to see all of your amazing work. So we'll get into that. But we always love to start off by just kind of having our guests share their trajectory. How did you end up where you are today? And you can start as early as you want in the process.
2: So my family, we were just big TV and film watchers, you know, we were that 20% that sees 80% of all movies, you know, the, me and my siblings with my dad, like Christmas, Thanksgiving, weekends, we went to the movies. And, um, and so I wanted to be an actress, because I just, I, you know, without having kind of a guidance of what all you can do in an industry, that's the thing that you see. So you feel like that's your way in. And I, I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah, well, you didn't know that because I was a very bad actress.
0: <laughs> Wait, there's nothing we can see? There's nothing we can pull up on YouTube? Of me the acting? young young ingenue?
2: Probably not, because when I was in college, I did some plays, but that was way back. So, you know, someone would have had to find, like, the VHS tape player and convert it. So I think I'm <laughs> safely hidden away from everybody's eyes. Yes. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, you out. Nice. thank you God we are out. we grew up then and not now where <laughs> anything you do it's out there forever. Right, such a scary thing. But uh, yeah, when I when I was in high school, so because I was on that acting um, bent, I was auditioning, 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 and never getting selected. So my senior year, my school offered a directing elective and you had to act in someone else's play as part of that class. And so I took it just to guarantee myself an acting role. And that's where I got the directing bug and realized I really did not like acting, but I really loved the process of finding the script and working with the actors and putting it up before an audience. That really got me um, jazzed. So then I went to... Lake Forest College near Chicago, and um, while I was there, I was I worked on plays, and that's when I did some of my acting. That's you know, uh, fortunately hidden away. Um, <laughs> we might be able to dig up. <laughs> but I, I was majoring in. Uh, I ended up majoring in economics and French, and I was really good at economics, and ended up getting a fellowship to get a, to get a PhD in economics, and I was in that program. And I was like, wait a minute, though, I really wanted to tell stories that part of me in my core that wanted to be a filmmaker just started screaming at me. So I dropped out of the program and and transferred over to USC. And, you know, I just started learning through doing, working on as many shorts and independent projects as I could. I did every single role you could think of, including grip and gaffing. And um, at that time, I was... I had script because I'm a writer, and I was having some really great meetings, but nobody was greenlighting my movie. And so um, it was while I was working at Sundance, and I was working for uh, Kenneth Brecker, the executive director at the time, and that's where I had my next epiphany because um, I was just really inspired by all these filmmakers who were just, they were just getting a camera and making their stuff. And I remember meeting with one filmmaker who said – that he wasn't waiting on Hollywood to give him a break, he was making his own break. And so uh, that's when I told myself, if you are a director, you need to get out there and direct. And so I stopped working full time and decided to kind of embrace the starving artist and save my money and make my very first short. Um, And that was The Wedding Dress. And then that got me into AFI's directing workshop for women. Uh, during which I did a single rose. And that's where fashion is featured in it. And that is out there for people to see. (laughs) (laughs) So I had that short. And at the same time, or almost the same time, um, I made another short called Six in the City. And that was a spoof of Sex in the City with six year olds on the playground. Oh, my goodness. And um, and the reason Oh, it's so good. (laughs) Yes, I had to like my friend noel flume who's a producer and i had this idea uh, written by another friend fred chang and we were kind of once they announced that they were stopping the show we just felt like we had to make that movie right there right there right. and there so we just we just did it and i had these two very different movies playing on the film festival circuit i had this you know gorgeous period piece that was a drama mm-hmm. and this comedy spoof starring kids and uh while I was doing a festival circuit, I met Rebecca Sunshine, and I optioned a script from her. And we, I found a company that greenlit it based on, you know, the two shorts that showed that I could work with kids, but I could also create something that was visual and interesting. And so that became my first feature within. And that was a supernatural thriller and uh, Lifetime bought it, and they really liked it and did well. So they hooked me up with some other producers. I yes. went on to do some more movies for them, and so I it came to a point where I had done enough shorts. Because in addition to the three I mentioned, there have been some others, and then the the feature so that I could craft a variety of reels, so I could showcase my action, yeah. I could showcase my VFX, I could showcase my my kids, I could showcase you know family drama. And, uh, and so that got me into NBC's diversity program and Parenthood selected me to, uh, shadow and, you know, I was very fortunate that they gave me a shot all along. I had also been shadowing on other stuff independently. And so I was able to go back to 90210, which I had shadowed and tell them that I got Parenthood. And so that gave them the confidence to give me an episode. And then the next year I did a Criminal Minds because I had shadowed on that independently. And then once I did that third episode, that's when it, just started kind of getting easier and fell into place. Um, And then, obviously, the big thing was then when I got Picard. This is Sister Brunch with me, Fanchon Cox,
1: and Anya Adams. Stay tuned for more of our conversation with TV director Hanalei Culpepper. Welcome back to Sister Brunch. I'm Fanchon. Let's get back into our conversation with counterpart and Supergirl TV director, Hanalei Culpepper. When you say you shadowed independently, was that because you kind of just reached out to people and asked if you could shadow or how did that work?
2: Yes. Uh, the very first thing I shadowed, I reached out to Felicia Henderson um, to ask her if I could shadow on Soul Food and she said, yeah, if you can get yourself up to Toronto. Wow. So I did. I flew myself up. I shadowed Jeff Byrd. Oh, wow. Um, and it was great. That was my first shadowing experience. Wow. And um, and then since then, it was a combination of, you know, my manager would help set up some things, but also she would make me do the things that I should be doing anyway. Yeah. So for instance, um, with not a 2 and 0, when I told her I knew the showrunner, she she was like, "Did you have you asked her for it? Tell her, did you tell her you want to direct an episode? Did you tell her you want a shadow? You know, and I'm like, well, they know I'm a director. Yeah. She's like, so you need to ask for what you want. And so that's kind of the advice mm. I also share with younger yeah. people that even though people know what we do, we still have to ask for what we want. We can't just wait and hope that they yes. offer it to us. Was that hard for you to ask? No, um... No, it it, it was just more that I just truly did not think to ask. I just assumed that you would just offer since you know that that's what I want to do, but that's not how it worked. And then the other way I got other independent shadowing gigs is, you know, you have a lot of generals when you're starting out and it's so easy for an executive to say no to giving you an episode. um, Or I should say it's very hard for them to say yes. So In those meetings, you know, I would say, well, I would also be happy to shadow to get to, you know, learn more. And and that is an easy yes for them to make a call and try to set you up, or at least it was then uh, easier. Obviously, it's harder now with so many programs and it's right now is impossible during COVID. But that's how I got all my independent shadowing stuff.
1: I feel like you've just highlighted two really important things. One is that you had experience early on in drama and in comedy. And so you already had with your first two projects, this proof that you could do different things. And then the other is this confidence. I mean, you did have this sense of confidence since you discovered that this is the thing you want to do to just full on go for it. And I think that's incredible. What was the kind of catalyst for having that confidence?
2: I think it was more that there was no plan B
1: (laughs) once I decided (laughs) I wanted to do
2: this. There wasn't anything else I wanted to do. I mean, I guess I could have always gone back to economics, but I just really wanted to tell stories. You know, they just had to be told. And so I just had to put in the work and, and do what I needed to do to make it happen And, you know, that's not to say there weren't many a day when I just wanted to walk away (laughs) and just say, forget about it. But I had like a great cheering section in my husband who would always encourage me to stick to it, you know, and you'd always get like a little carrot, like a little something that... Gives you like a tiny step forward, and so you then you okay. I I now have the spirit to keep going, and then it'll take forever. And then you'd be you know starting to feel like why am I doing this? And then you know, you'd get another little carrot, or Jeff would be there on my side saying keep going. This is great. It, it helps to have a cheering section when you're in this kind of the hard slog of trying to make your first real break happen. The beginning
0: stages. Yeah. I have a question for you, Hannah. because like, I feel like one of the things that I love about you is that you are, um, I feel like you're so steady and clear. Like when I think about myself, I'm very loud and like in your face and that's my AD background. And I don't think that's your character. And I feel like a lot of times when we're working, people have an expectation of a director to be that way. Mm-hmm. How do you come in and like set the stage for people to know that you're in charge, mm-hmm. even though you're not 18 decibels and, you know, kind of like a whirling dervish as some directors I've been around. Are. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I I have to say that I kind of felt like in the beginning, I needed to be more of a whirling dervish. But, you know, ultimately, that's not me. And it yeah. was very uncomfortable. And it was only through shadowing other directors where i saw okay there's actually all kinds of directors and there are some who are more soft-spoken male and female um and who are not such these very loud yeah pick up the whole room personalities which is you know and i'm not saying that in any negative way i think that you know that's that's we're just different right and so i think it's, it's a matter of coming in and showing that you're prepared and especially how you start that day and set the tone with that first shot and, and show that you that you're decisive and that you have a plan, but you're listening to other people's idea. I'm very collaborative on set. And so I feel like that's what does it and not to mention even in prep, they're seeing how I work and, and how yeah. I come into the meetings and in how I'm decisive in that in that way. And so the word even spreads <laughs> before you get to set. Um it, you know, so I finally decided one day I just had to be me. And then by being me I was more comfortable. Yeah. But I do feel like you do have to kind of be careful, right? You can't be too quiet and you can't be meek and you can't Yeah let yeah. people walk over you. So you do have to kinda of stand tall. But that doesn't mean you have to, you know, loud but i anya i love your your vibe i I actually wish i was (laughs) you and me both i love her
0: (laughs) hi it's anya and you're listening to sister brunch we'll be right back if you want to go ahead and use this time to follow us on twitter at sister brunch
1: Did you know what this is? Were you asking? Were you in your head? Like, what is this? I'm going to tell you. It's Sister Brunch. Now back to our interview.
0: I mean, I, I use it as a crutch, let me tell you. Because honestly, all whenever I talk about you to people, they're like, that's the hardest working woman in showbiz. Like, I think that's a, another thing you leave behind people that you come and you're decisive, but you're also extremely prepared and extremely hardworking. And that's, you know, that's like no bullshit. People mm-hmm. aren't going to mess around when they know that the person leading the day is fully prepared and able to pivot at any moment. I love that
1: you said that, Anya, because I'd love to hear, Hanalee, what do you do to prep? What's a day in the life or maybe a week in the life of prepping for a show look like for
2: you? Well, for me, it starts before I get there, right? Because I'm trying to learn Learn as much as I can about that show, watching as many episodes as possible, trying to do research on the key people that I'll be working with, seeing what their credits are. You know, if I could find any interviews, I love to to read what they've said. And 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 also, I have a call with the line producer mm-hmm. or the producing director um, or the showrunner, if that's possible, to find out what were some of your favorite episodes that you feel I should watch. Um, what are some that were not your favorite. And also, if it's a show that's been on for years, and it's just physically impossible to watch all episodes, I ask them to tell me all the ones that they feel are kind of key to knowing the ongoing storylines. You know, in the days leading up to coming, you know, hopefully, if you get your script early enough, you're just reading that script again and again, breaking things down, even though the AD does her own breakdown. You know, you're doing your own, starting to think about interesting shots. If you've been watching a show, you know what some of these sets look like. So you may have some thoughts already on that so that I can come in for that first concept meeting. And even though that's a lot of listening to what the showrunner wants, if there's something where I've had an idea and it really affects multiple departments or even as a key thing within one department or is, could be a big visual effect, I try to bring all of that, those ideas in at that concept meeting. And then that, that week is, you know, the fast and the furious going to find locations, meetings with all the departments. And as much as you can come to those meetings with your ideas um, already formed, uh, any pictures, any references that you can share to help them see your vision is always helpful. And I don't think you have to come in knowing all the answers. You know, of course, there's a lot of unknowns to figure out, but any kind of just creative Uh, inspiration you can share is always good. Um, And then during that week, I am I try to find my locations as soon as possible. You know, not that I compromise on on it. it has to work. But if I can find that quickly, that means I can go back several times before we shoot and really work out all the blocking. So that when we go on our tech scout, I can be very specific about where we can look and where we and where they could put the trucks. And when I block, I try to put myself in the head of the actor, as well as in the directing head for what, what looks good, but also what feels right and organic. Those are all the things I'm working out during that prep week so that when I come in on that day one, I could tell them this is what I was thinking, but try it and let's see what you're thinking as far as, you know, talking to the actors with the blocking. And hopefully you've prepped with the DP, so she or he's already been a part of that conversation and they're already with you and your AD. Oh, and I do a shot list. It's not, you're just a dream. You,
1: I get it. I it's get it. Watch a
2: dream to work with. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I just
0: want to know, you did a short documentary short about waiting in line for Star Wars.
1: In 1977, a phenomenon occurred. A new film gained such passionate fans that three years later, they lined up early in anticipation of the release of its sequel. It's a tradition that continues to this day. How long have you been waiting? I've been here an hour. I'm not even seeing this show. I've seen the seven
0: o'clock. Have you always been a like sci-fi head?
2: Yeah. I've always enjoyed sci-fi. Yeah. I don't have one love when it comes down to genre and movies and yeah. TV. I, I love so many genres. I, it's really, it's, if there's a, just a great character or emotional journey at its heart, that drives me. Yeah. The star Wars documentary came because I was just so fascinated by the people standing in line. And so I just went and interviewed some when they uh, first did the, uh, first episode, and I never edited it in time. And then they were releasing episode two and the people were out again. So I was like, oh, let me just get more footage. <laughs> and fine. then it turned out that other people were shooting features about it. So I was like, well, if they've done the feature, what do I do with my footage? And that's why I decided to instead turn it into a fifty style <laughs> PSA educational film about how to stand in line for Star Wars. That's
1: so smart. Well, That's what so was awesome. the pressure like for Picard? I mean, I, I, I'm curious about kind of the hiring process as well as the pressure because it is such an iconic show and the fans are really super committed and, you know, I think uh, protective yeah. of the franchise. So, well, yeah, what was that like?
0: And did you have to, like, make... Some people have to make decks, Mm -hmm. you know, like a whole presentation on yourself Mm -hmm. and how you would shoot. You did. Did did you have to wear Spock ears in the interview? (laughs) So what what did you wear? What did you wear? Tell us everything. I don't remember what I wore.
2: Well, the first meeting I had with Secret Hideout, uh, I didn't even have a script. Oh, wow. So my agents called me about doing the meeting and I said, okay, let me (laughs) read the script and they're like yeah they're not sharing any script just come in with your ideas and oh, your ideas like, like, okay. like just on wow. like
1: uh, for a brand yes, new show so
2: <laughs> yeah so I just kind of came in because I you know I loved Star Trek The Next Generation I love Picard and I had worked on Star Trek Discovery so I, ca- I came in talking about some of the ideas I had based on if I was writing this story um what where do i feel like his character would be at this point what and some of it was kind of in line with what they were thinking. I also talked about how I wanted it to feel different from discovery. So yes. based on that meeting, they gave me the script and I had the weekend to read it and develop my lookbook. What? And so I came in and took them through the lookbook. So wait, you weekend. had one wow. you
0: had 48 hours to put together a
2: presentation. Uh yeah, I think my meeting was on a Friday and wow. I think I came back on a Monday. Maybe it was a Tuesday, but that's not that's not uncommon in pilot season, guys. Okay. In pilot- season your agent will get a call and uh they'll say do you want to potentially do the let's just say the equalizer you say yep you read it you need to read it like that night that day you you tell them yes i want to come in on it and then you may have a meeting 24 or 48 hours later Whoa, it goodness. moves that quickly wow. during pri- pilot season so Picard I actually it was a luxury to have the weekend to pull this oh together and so yes yeah, So then I came in for that meeting and they really loved a lot of the stuff they wanted me to make some changes so I went back and made some changes um, and they were very happy and then it was a matter of sharing it with Patrick Stewart and getting his approval as well as well as CBS of course <laughs> Hey,
1: you are listening to Sister Brunch with Anya Adams and me, Fanchin Cox. We will be right back.
0: Now back to our interview. Can you talk about some of the challenges you had? Like you, you have a family, right? I mean, like, I don't know if that's your biggest challenge, but like what have been some of your challenges moving through this industry?
2: Yeah, I think it's just, well, first you said once I decided I want to do this and having that confidence, but I think even that was, you know, the first challenge to get over, right? To believe that you're ready for it. Yeah. Because I think that sometimes we feel like we have to have done so much (laughs) work and school and stuff to be ready for it. And, and, And some of you just have to realize and believe that you can do it and that you're the right person and what you don't know, you'll have a great team to work with you and that this is how it is for everybody, including the men out there, right? Yeah. You don't there there is no perfect time to get started. Yeah. Um and also the big challenge is just remaining uh motivated when you get neg you get nos all the time. Yeah. And uh That's hard. And then it's just, you know, there's certain things that you don't even you don't know why your journey is, is slow, you know, um, there are times where as we're more aware of things now, I feel like you may look at it and say, maybe it was because I was a woman who went in for that job, or maybe it was because I was black that went for that job, but I never saw that at the time. Like for me, it was always, okay, what can I do to be better next time so I can get it? I always just kind of took it as, uh, as a learning so that I can improve myself. So that's been a challenge and then with family mm-hmm. it's it's very hard. You look at some of the people who are the the super women in our industry and they don't have they don't have families and, right. and you see why it is so hard to balance that. And I always say it's not 50/50 for sure. You know, you're a good mom and a terrible filmmaker and then you're a great filmmaker but you're a terrible mom. So <laughs> I don't think I ever feel like I'm wearing both hats and doing a good job at the same time. Yeah. So that's always challenging, the time, the time you need. And the financial, the financial challenge yeah. too. Yeah. That's that's probably the biggest thing, right? You need to be able to live off of very little income for quite a while in expensive Los Angeles, and so that makes it really hard for some people to be able to be a starving artist. Um, you know, if you don't have a family who's here already so you already have a place to stay if you don't have a spouse who's earning some money if you don't have you know rich parents who can just fund it all you know, even going back to going to film school, you can't afford that. So that's probably that's one of the biggest challenges is actually just to have the financial means so that you can go out and do what you need to do to be ready for your break. I was
1: going to ask you because you um, it, I guess the, I think this is connected to potential challenges because we, we had a quote from you from the Variety Inclusion Impact Report saying usually as a black female director, they think of us as doing a black story or a female story. And there are many directors like me who just want to tell stories that are not necessarily black or female. And I wonder if that can get in your way sometimes because people like, I I was wondering, for example, with Star Trek of the reason they initially gave you discovery was because it, you know, that it's a black female lead and they felt like they, it was important to have a black director. But is that something that you find kind of gets in your way
2: of just telling a story? Let me um, speak to Discovery for a moment. I, I don't know. I don't think they gave me the job because of I'm a black woman. The producing director is a black man. And so, I mean, you have him running the show over there, which is awesome. That's Olatunde Tsunami. And he, um, I think, wanted to hire me because we ended up doing a couple of the same shows, And he loved my episodes and loved my work. So I think that's why, at least why he um, wanted to hire me. And I do know that, of course, there's a mandate. They, They want gender. They want diversity behind the scenes. But I'm not really sure how much of that came into play for that particular first job. But yes, I do feel, yes, absolutely, that sometimes it can be difficult if I was going after if I was telling black stories I I I bet you I would would have had an easier Mm, time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and I do have some black stories that I want to tell but I I I I, my my husband always (laughs) says it right you know are you a filmmaker who's black or are you a black filmmaker
1: Mm, right and um and and that's
2: kind of how you have to define yourself and so I really want to just be seen as someone who could tell a great story and sometimes it's black and sometimes it's not. And that should be totally, you know, should be totally fine.
1: Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I mean, in fact, that's, that's where we need to move to, right? Because otherwise I, it's tokenism basically, right? The change hasn't really happened unless everyone is able to direct everything, you know, eventually, or tell every story. And that's certainly the, kind of the the future, hopefully, of the change that we're all pushing Well, let me for. ask
2: you this, based on that statement. So, for instance, Mulan got a lot of controversy because the director is a white woman. Right. And on the one hand, I mean, what's great is there's representation, um, and there's a woman directing this huge movie, which it's all progress and good, but because she was a, a white woman directing an Asian story, there's this, there's this, you know, kind of blowback on it. And I'm a Mm -hmm. black woman doing an Asian pilot. So (laughs) we'll see what what happens when that comes out. I do feel like it should be like, we should be able to direct anything. But right now we're in this kind of world where it feels like, you know, when you want authenticity and I understand why, but it's also like, we can't keep denigrating the successes of Mm -hmm. progress of people of color getting their movies out there and more women directing.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I think it is, it is looking for kind of equity and parity before we can get to the place where we can say everybody should direct everything Mm -hmm. like that, that we do have to, it's, it's reparations or affirmative action or whatever is the most comfortable term for people to think of. It's, it's a matter of, us getting to a place where, you know, you 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 know that the playing field is level for everyone and absolutely the ultimate goal is for all of us to be able to do everything. But I I do think that step is necessary. Having said that, I mean, we we we've had plenty of guests who kind of say, you know this this is important so that other people see themselves reflected in these stories or other or other people i mean i love having you on hanalei because I, and and this is why we do the podcast is we want young you know black brown indigenous asian women to say oh this is something i can do and this is what you do to do it you work your ass off you know you show up you you know and and then people will vouch for you um, but yeah, I do think that the, the playing field needs to be a little more level. Um, and yet you, to your point is well taken that it's because that that woman stepped up and directed Mulan that, I mean, we know that that's where we are in the industry. That meant that it got greenlit and that meant that it got made. So it's, it's, it's complex, isn't it? Yes, very much yeah, so. Yeah,
0: because like, honestly, one of my favorite, favorite movies last year is from TIFF and it's a movie called Rocks. And it's an all, all young girls of color, but was directed by a a white woman. Um, But I, you know, the way they did it, I thought was really beautiful and like um, sensitive to the cultures that they were, you know, showing on screen. I think you're right, Fanchin, like we, we, we need to get to, to parody, but it's, it's a long road, but also we need to get these stories out because showing the same thing over and over is really tiring. <laughs> Another like, you know, standard sitcom with the just regular, you know, wholesome right, that, family. is just that like gets so tired. nobody wants to see that
1: anymore. Yeah, we're we're, we're good. We're yeah. solid on that. We, we'd like to move on. Yeah. Well, Hanalee, we know you are so busy, and oh we're gosh. excited that you are so busy because we're going to be able to keep watching things yes. you're doing, but we want to know, Do you are there any projects that you can talk about that we can look out for coming up? So
2: hopefully Kung Fu will air in um, early 2021, cool. so you'll be able to see Great. that. Uh, I'm going to do an episode of Big Sky. Ooh. And then, you know, ultimately, hopefully my feature, A Thousand Miles, will be shooting cool. So you'll have, in a couple of yes. years, you'll be able to see that. And I'm so happy with it. And I should quickly say what the story is in case anyone doesn't know, but basically it's the story of William and Ellen Craft, two slaves who escaped um, because she could pass as white and she ended up dressing yes. as a white male slave owner oh my goodness. and her husband as her slave and they escaped by riding first class <gasps> in the trains yes. and the ships and they got to freedom on christmas day so it's kind of it's interesting it's like the yin and the yang to the other project that will smith's doing where he's you know going to be in the, the the dirt he's escaping the, you know the way that we know about in the woods in the dirt rubbing pig guts on himself oh you know, all that stuff <laughs> really kind of testosterone feeling yeah. version mm. and then I'm like you know and then we're the, the the total opposite where they'll be clean and you know but still just as stressful intense and, yes. and suspenseful so I think they actually kind of make an interesting um, couplet Yeah, the two, these two stories wow. of escape oh my
0: gosh I am so going to see that that sounds amazing <laughs> we are that sounds oh,
2: so good. This is, th- these are
1: the narratives we need. Yes. This is exactly what we're saying. Oh, this is what we need. So these good. new perspectives on narratives that we've already seen before. Yeah. Oh, so good. wonderful. We love you so Thank much. Thank you. We're Thank just you. fangirling. We've been yeah, fangirling huge. ever since we put you. In we're, you were on the list to be our guest and, yeah, we're just, we're so excited about you and your career and we're so grateful that you took the time with us. That was our conversation with TV and film director Hanalei Culpepper. Go to sisterbrunch.com to find out more about her, her projects and where to follow her on social. And thank you, seriously. Thank you so much for listening to Sister Brunch with Anya Adams and me, Fanchon Cox. And please don't forget also to subscribe and rate and review our show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at Sister Brunch Podcast to find out what's caught our attention this week. We'll have some spotlights of emerging Black women, plus filmmakers and media makers. And and also we, you know, we might be sharing a little fun behind the scenes goodies. Our show producer is Brittany Turner. Our executive producer is Christabel in Boadi. And see you next time. We acknowledge the land we record our podcast on is the original land of the Tongva people for those of us in Los Angeles and for the Coast Salish for Anya in Vancouver. Tune in next time.